Thanks for coming back to Infamous. I'm sure you all have thoughts on Gwyneth Paltrow, and I've invited on one of my favorite writers and top Gwynethologists today to talk about her. It's Taffy Bertizer-Ackner, who has also written about Robert Pattinson and Weight Watchers and also happens to be the creator of Fleischman is in Trouble, if you saw that on huge all-access feature articles on celebrities like Robert Pattinson and companies like Weight Watchers. She also happens to be the creator of Fleischman is in Trouble, which you may have seen on Hulu. Toby was forced to ask the question that occurred to him nearly every few minutes since his separation. How did I get here? Money doesn't buy you happiness. Oh, Toby, of course it does. Taffy, you and I have known each other for probably at least 10 years. You are a superstar of epic proportions, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. I'm so glad to be with you. So before you did Fleischman is in Trouble and went on to become a TV showrunner of Everybody's Dreams, you were, I would say it's fair to say, most famous for an epic story that you wrote about Gwyneth Paltrow. What is the first thing you do? The first thing I do is I arrange for an off-the-record interview with her. Like, she needs to sort of kick my tires. All I remember from that meeting is me explaining to her what my sort of unified Gwyneth Paltrow theory was. And what was that? My theory was the reason people hate Gwyneth Paltrow is that Gwyneth Paltrow interrupted the contract that a celebrity has with the women's magazine reader in that, as you know, you're, the celebrity is supposed to sit down with you, order like a quadruple cheeseburger with bacon and like cheese fries and a milkshake and eat it in front of you. And when you say, how come you're so thin and beautiful? She shrugs and she says, I just have good genes. This is how I eat all the time. <laughs> right. And that thing that she's doing is a very, the, the the mythical celebrity in this case is doing this very advanced thing where she's creating a contract with the reader saying, I'm letting you off the hook. On the rest of the pages of this magazine, usually a women's magazine, you will see all these exercises and all these diets. And I'm here to tell you, you never stood a chance. Right. So just sit back and enjoy me because I am not a perfected version of you. I am a different species. Right. And I do think that even though that seems like it would be disappointing to the reader, actually what it says to the reader is you never stood a chance. Don't worry about it. Right. Enjoy this article and the guacamole recipe that exchanges avocados for air or whatever, <laughs> like the, and lemon juice instead of a drink and enjoy the fact that you'll never really be this. So it's aspirational journalism. Yeah. It, it, and then Gwyneth comes in, but Gwyneth would never do that. Allure used to do a thing where you would show the celebrity old pictures of themselves and say, like, what were you thinking when you wore this outfit? Or what do you think of your hair here? And she would look at this. She would be eating a salad in the magazine article. And she would say, like, yeah, I work really hard to look this way. I have, like, incredible discipline and willpower. That's why I look this way. Which, if you're reading that, it makes you turn on a person. How dare you say that with my full-time job and my kids and my mortgage, how dare you say that if I worked harder, I could look like I want to? 
it's this weird subversion of what you're buying the magazine for in the first place. But she was just very honest about the fact that she's prettier and better and yeah. better at being prettier and better. And did you feel she was prettier and better sitting there with her? I felt she was prettier and better. I, fe- I felt the word perfect run through me <laughs> many times. Like I have flat feet and she has these perfect arch- arches. I like slouch and I'm worried that I'm becoming a little bit round shouldered. And she has, her posture is this marvel. She really became this funhouse mirror to me of myself until eventually I felt myself turning on her. Like I was like, you know, she's also like smart and cool. There's something about her or maybe like in the run up to Goop or before Goop that she was like cool. Like she could, she could rap NWA lyrics. She laughed in the right way. She had this really good education. She had this talent that was so great and she was so used to being this talented that she had no qualms about leaving that talent behind to try something new and her house was beautiful and she cooked in front of me and <laughs> okay she... so you went to her house we have to get in and her kids, so what was her house her, like her kids <laughs> were like playing instruments it was and in my memory they were like speaking different languages but I don't think that actually happened her house was beautiful her house was in Brentwood you could know what her house looked like if you look at her website enough. It's the same aesthetic of like neutrals. We ate in a dining room with candlelight and a fireplace and it was delicious. The thing she made for us was delicious. And she had a house manager and <laughs> a butler. her children were so polite and so talented and what did they apply for you <laughs> they were okay so apple was in the background i can't remember it was it was was it um blackbird that she like she just started strumming and i will say this i was drunk and here is why i am not a very adept drinker mm-hmm. but i do always drink if my subject is drinking you know, just so that nobody thinks I'm like a narc, but I'm a very bad drinker. I get drunk too easily on very little alcohol. And I know how much alcohol I can have in an interview before it becomes like a standards problem, right? And the amount I can have is two glasses of wine. And her house manager poured some red wine and I drank it. I was already drunk when I looked and realized that this glass doesn't ever seem to empty. Like (laughs) how much did I have to drink by the time I was like, I'm very drunk and and I have not even made a dent in this glass. But is this because you were just enjoying yourself too much? You were like, I'm a glass. I've really made it. No, because I'm like, I'm like a, like if you've read my other work, I'm like a problem eater. I'm a problem consumer. When there's something in front of me, I consume it. And I was nervous. Aren't you always nervous in these interviews? You're like in the house, you're with the person. And I just drank a lot. (laughs) The next time I saw her, we made reference to it. So it wasn't (laughs) in my imagination. And in any way that I thought like, keep it cool, Ackner. Don't let anyone see how drunk you are. There, it didn't, no, it did not. I was there till like one in the morning and I was, I did not successfully 
Conceal your drunkenness. Conceal my drunkenness. Did you believe that she and Chris Martin, you met Chris Martin, were you like, I met Chris Martin, he was there. Were you like, they're consciously uncoupled? Are you like, oh, these people don't get along? I, they were like a regular divorced couple who is making it work for their kids. And my impression that I left, or maybe I cried over this later, I understood completely that there is this idea that the conscious uncoupling is this Gwyneth being better than us as usual, even your divorce is better than everyone else's. But I come from a lot of divorce. My parents, I'm planning my son's bar mitzvah, and it's still sort of tricky to navigate them having to be in a room together. Like I remember when I graduated from college, you know, you go to the college graduation and then there's also a university graduation. And to me, that was an ideal thing because my parents, one of them could go to the college graduation, one of them could go to the university graduation. And for my son's bar mitzvah, I always want to say like, can we have two of these? Because there's just so, it's, it's so still in the air with them. And I went, I left that experience of these two people. He was obviously coming to visit his children and teach them how to play Blackbird or whatever he was teaching them how to do in the basement. And she offered him, maybe she offered him a drink, I think, or like something, do you want something to eat? And he sat there with us and we talked about Coldplay for a minute. My kids really love Coldplay and my and my husband's first song was a Coldplay song. yellow just if you want to make fun of us a little <laughs> I love that song I I love Coldplay okay. I, I'll <laughs> okay. tell you I love Coldplay but I I understand also as a culture journalist that loving Coldplay is a relic of a time of sincerity and I was sitting there watching them be a totally amicable couple and there are no divorces that are truly amicable I mean maybe that's a controversial thing to say but there's so much pain in a divorce. And I was so jealous of Apple and Moses that they had parents who were at least trying for their sake to be people who could be in a room together. Even if the conscious uncoupling is a theater, it is a theater of good intention that is there to try to make divorce a little less awful for everyone. And I guess I just don't have any irony about that because when I saw it, it made me really sad that my parents couldn't do that for us. Right. When you get up close to these people, they're not, they are just people. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So before the break, break, Taffy was talking about her experience interviewing Gwyneth Paltrow for New York Times Magazine. I actually have also interviewed Gwyneth, and I've written two feature stories on her, one in 2004 for Vanity Fair, and another that was supposed to be for the September 2001 issue of Talk Magazine. Here's my friend and my editor for that story, Mara Rochelle. All the perfect things about Gwyneth's home life, like the fact that 12-year-old Moses introduced himself by making socially appropriate eye contact and shaking Taffy's hand. I have also interviewed Gwyneth, but I had a much narrower experience. 
Okay, so I interviewed Gwyneth. Did you ever oh, read I know. the story? <laughs> oh, not only do I know, but I know about the story. The, the other the one. The story that did it. Right, yeah. right, right. So my, Which is my... what I'm here to talk about. <laughs> well, so, okay, my experience with her many years ago, right after 9-11, and as um, a friend of mine just reminded me the other day, you know, 9-11 happened. We had Gwyneth Paltrow booked for Shallow Hell. I'm going to jump out of this interview for a second to play you some of the tape of that phone call with my friend and editor, Marishan. He's talking about what happened when 9-11 occurred, and that cover did not seem so appropriate anymore. So we were supposed to have Gwyneth Paltrow on a, in a fat suit on the cover of that issue. And we debated, <laughs> do we want skinny Gwyneth on the cover or, or fat suit? It's a big <laughs> debate that, that polarized the whole newsroom. <laughs> we ended up fashioning the issue and then in five days redoing it you know, to make 9-11. But she was supposed to be on the cover. And I had to call and tell him, like, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to do uh, Gwyneth on the cover anymore. And he said, why? <laughs> and I'm like, um, I'm not sure if you've heard, but there's been a little accident here in New York that... Uh, precludes us from putting Gwyneth in a fat suit on the cover. He was like furious about that. He's like, in two years, no one's even going to remember, which is the word that to this day, like I just gasp whenever I remember him saying that. Like it was so insane. The way the story ends is that Gwyneth ended up being the cover of the December 2001 issue rather than an earlier one. Anyway, back to Taffy. I, I've often thought, of course, Talk Magazine was owned by Harvey Weinstein. And Gwyneth Paltrow has said multiple times, I always had to do these things that I, I had to do only because Harvey made me do them. And I've always thought to myself, oh, my God, was this cover of Talk Magazine one of them? Because mm, you know mm -hmm. she didn't want to do this. And when I went to the interview, I thought, God, this is there is some this person does not want to be here. She is absolutely the most gorgeous woman on screen. Mm -hmm. And I've often wondered, did she dress down for me because it was after 9-11 and because she didn't really want to do the interview because Harvey had sort of told her she had to be on the cover or something because she came in looking like the mousiest girl in the back row of the classroom. But didn't you still think she was beautiful? Like, didn't you still think that when you were with her, that she was beautiful. I did, but she was wearing no makeup. In her like a Hamptons-y was... sort of beachy way when she doesn't sort wear makeup. Of, but okay, so she had no makeup. Her hair was sort of wavy and frizzy, which I was like, is this your real hair? She was wearing a fleece, if I remember correctly, like zippered wow. the entire way up wow. on her <laughs> neck. And she was drinking like barley coffee at Suen. And you're like, I thought I was meeting the girl from the talented Mr. Ripley you know yeah. like this is not reading as glamour you know look at the way she she dressed during her trial right yeah like that's yeah. not actually the way most people want to dress but not, but not like, the way you're out. talking about not the <laughs> yeah. way you're <laughs> not the way you're talking about though I wonder if there was a period of time where she was trying to tell us something maybe not even consciously but like Something happened to her after she got that Oscar. I read something that her mother once said about her. Or, no, 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 she said it on a podcast with her. They were like on the Goop podcast together. And Blythe Danner, her mother, says, 
you know, back when we were at Williamstown and you were like seven years old running lines with me, you like knew all the lines and you just knew how to do this. And I did not yet realize that you were other. And imagine your mother having to come to terms with how special you are in the category in which she was also trying to achieve. Right. And then go look at when she wins an Oscar. And the first thing the camera does is it goes to Bruce Paltrow and Blythe Danner. And Blythe Danner appears to be doing some sort of dismissive gesture. I doubt that she actually is, but there was a lot made of the fact that she wasn't just sort of staring fawningly at her daughter. Imagine coming to realize that everything everyone said about you that was good might make them hate you too. Maybe it extends a little bit to your mother in a sort of competitive way. I'm sure they're very close and I'm sure they love each other. And I'm sure her mother has no asterisks to her love. But the story of Gwyneth Paltrow is that she is not like anyone else in the world. And imagine what it was like for her to realize that. And instead of feeling like a shining star about it, to suddenly feeling like a target. I think she used the word target with me or with others. I can't remember anymore. When she talked about what happened, like after you won an Oscar at the age of 26, you now have a target on you or something like that. There was there was some quote like that. And that stuck with me because imagine that. Imagine that Vanessa Gregoriatis is putting you on the cover of Talk. And then imagine that there's a story that she feels so threatened by that she has to kind of, like, I want to hear from you about that story because I know her side of it. Her side is that she believed that you had found out that she was getting divorced. Yeah, I do know this. Yeah. Okay, you do. Right. And that she was so scared that her kids were going to hear about it through something that wasn't her and Chris Martin telling them. I know that's what the like sort of dark comedy of errors of that story is. That because we that were story just trying to put like, her on the cover. We I just know. wanted to sell yeah. magazines. And meanwhile, and you feel terrible because that's like a, a celebrity feeling hunted, feeling yeah. like, oh yeah, my God, sure. we said, I can't do this cover of the magazine. You know, and this was sort of the time when she was going around saying, I hate the Matt Gala. And, you know, mm-hmm. she was the end of an Iron Man promotional tour. And she was probably like maybe drinking too much and exhausted and like getting divorced, which nobody knew. And then suddenly you have Vanity Fair having a writer call around and like call your friends and be like, hey, can you tell me some Gwyneth Paltrow stories? Like, right. No biggie. Do you know what else she told me? Maybe this is the thing I also know is that she had said, I hate the Met Gala. Mm. But actually, what she told me several times, and I don't know if this is your experience, but in my experience, when they say something to you several times, they are trying to make sure it gets in the story. And then you have to ask yourself, why is it important for her to get this into the story? And the the thing she kept saying was, the Met Gala that I went to was the last night of my marriage. We had just gotten into this huge fight. And when I think about the Met Gala, it was the last night of my marriage. It was the last night that I did not know I was getting divorced. And that was not, that was like, Maybe in a bathroom they were fighting, if I recall correctly, which I might not. But in my memory, it's they're fighting in a bathroom. They have to come out now and do press 
but she has just realized that they're not going to stay married, Mm. which I think she was telling me so that as a kind of cleanup job on why did I say I hate the Met Gala? By the way, the Met Gala does not look fun. Not it at looks, all. <laughs> I dread it when it's even just like on Twitter. Like, ugh, <laughs> now everyone I follow is going to be talking about everyone wearing feathers or whatever the theme is. But like, I know, and then I all the dread cool it. People, and then all the cool people, they always have pictures now of them. They're like just hanging out in the bathroom, like all the young models and the rock stars yeah. and stuff, because they're just like, we don't want to sit at the table at this with bar them. mitzvah. Yeah, <laughs> this, like, like seventy-six year old. Old, like designer who's like got his hand on my knee. <laughs> it's like too Have much. you ever been to it? Did you ever cover? I mean, I stood outside like in the red rope once that I had to get a quote from somebody and I was just like, oh my God, never again. Yeah, it's just the premium horrible. The thing about your story on Gwyneth is that it's First of all, just the most masterful. You stick every single landing. It is so hilarious. Every sentence is hilarious. Just your your little things that you do with her, the fact that you pulled out, or maybe you you asked her for a cigarette just to see if she would. No, do I had. I, pull, I came. I came with cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and she had her own. She was like, I'm not smoking whatever gas station friend you just brought me like i have my own expensive i have my own cigarettes she had dunhills you had i mean the thing that you do so masterfully though is that you don't like stick the knife in with her right like you make yourself into the comedian because you're sort of making fun i mean the great part of the story is just like when you're making fun of yourself for not being 100% sure if you said goodbye to your child back in <laughs> before you got on the plane because you're just like so consumed with trying to understand Gwyneth Paltrow and you're just like, right. what kind of mom am I? And you embody what everybody does, which is compare themselves to Gwyneth Paltrow because it's just so hard not to. And she also will tell you, I don't know. I mean, that just seems to be something you're doing, which makes you even more annoyed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, so because I have willpower, you can hate me? Like, that was, and I guess the answer is like, yeah, I'm so sorry. This is, that's how it goes. (laughs) That's how it goes, Gwyneth. (laughs) I mean, so you never spoke to her again, or did you? I heard from them you know, we had a hard time in fact checking. They were very, very mistrustful of me. But when it went to press, they were like distancing themselves from me. They're like, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. Right, right, right. And luckily, I tape everything ever since you know what, another shared subject of ours. Ever since Nicki Minaj fell asleep while she was talking to me, and I had to put like a tape recorder under her so that the fact checker would believe me. And I was, I just sat there saying, Wait. like, are you? I, I, I sat there saying, wow, it's crazy that you're sleeping. Well, I can't believe you're sleeping right now. And I was, her, first her eyes crossed. And I was like, what is happening here? And then her eye, then those, those eyelashes started falling. And I was like, what is happening here? And you want to hear this? I left that story and I, it was my shot at GQ and I cried against the Barclays Center because I said, I can't believe I blew my shot at GQ. Like GQ, the only place I ever wanted to work. I can't believe it. And then I spoke to the booker. The booker called me. It was like 11 at night and I'm still crying. And he says, how did it go? And I said, she fell asleep. 
And he said, the poor thing, she must be so tired. And I was like, wow. (laughs) And I said, but I don't have any real quotes. Like I don't have a lot of quotes. He's like, that's going to be a problem for GQ because GQ needs you to have some quotes in your story. But I was like, you know what? It's not her job to give me good quotes. It is my job to make sense of her for the public and to tell a good story. And I rose from my tears and overnight I wrote a story and the next day I sent it in and I I got a contract out of that story. Infamous will be right back. Let me tell you my my Nicki Minaj story. Did I ever, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I just want to be clear. I showed up at Nicki Minaj's house. I had the assignment to write about Nicki Minaj. They told me I should fly to L.A. I was sort of annoyed because why do I want to leave New York? She comes to New York all the time. I said, fine, I'll fly yeah. to L.A. I get a call Sunday morning. I've got like kids coming out of the was at my house, right? Like everybody's eating breakfast. Kids are over, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And the publicist is like, listen, she's in New York. And I was like, yeah, no shit. I know she comes to New York. And they're like, she's in New York. <laughs> And if you get up there in the next three hours, we can do the interview there. Or you come to LA next week. Oh, my God. Vanessa, wait, before you even tell me more, I'm going to tell you, I had a similar thing. It was getting a call from GQ saying, there's a car outside your house right now. She's willing to talk to you in an hour. I describe waiting for the Nicki Minaj interview. And by the way, this is so pathetic, but I'm going to say it. I delayed my move from Los Angeles to New Jersey by a week because I was waiting for her to find a date. And then (laughs) it didn't even happen for a month after that. (laughs) And I always describe it as it's like you're waiting to hear that you're next on the organ donation list, (laughs) except you have to have a blowout. Like you have to be dressed, but you're going to get a call. The, yeah. the liver is ready and you have to there's a car waiting you outside okay you keep, gotta keep have going, your blowout right keep going so I say okay well obviously I'm taking the thing today but I'm not prepared and I got these kids here so I'm just you know I whatever I blow out my hair I jump in a car in a taxi and I'm on my way to Trump Tower which is by the way where she was staying and I'm scribbling down questions in the back of the car on the back of you know my day planner or something I don't know what I'm going to ask her but I'm just going to try to figure it out on this car ride and she had you know recently had this issue little Wayne you know broke up with Birdman and they're having this whole fight and that was like the goss of the moment right so I've got, I was like yeah. I got to figure out how to ask that like I want to and she had been you know a couple of times saying I'm not going to talk about this and so I get in there you know and she's gorgeous gorgeous right enormous yes. it's, it, you cannot believe cannot believe how, how beautiful she is beautiful and I found her so well proportioned like she oh, is just a stunner she is she's a stunner she is an object of desire I'm asking my little dumb questions and she's answering them and like we're sitting there and then I say well, what's going on with this Lil Wayne Birdman thing and she says oh I'm not going to talk about that and I said, yeah, well, I'm just going to ask, though, like, what do you do you feel sort of upset that the two of them are fighting or like, what do you think? She's like, I'm not going to talk about that. I just don't think about it. I just don't think about it at all. And I was like, uh-huh. all right, well, um, uh-huh. is there a part of you that sort of thrives off the drama, though? And it was like <laughs> record scratch. And she was like and there was just silence in the room. And she was like what did you just say to me? (laughs) And these 
words had escaped my uh, tongue and I was like wished that I was in some mythological story where I could just uh, grab them back and I was just like oh my god what did I just say to her yeah why did I say such a stupid thing and I was like whoa you said a stupid thing because you're like for the same reason I eat like two hamburgers when I'm doing these interviews no one's gonna have a record of what I did it's like (laughs) I'm just trying to provoke right like I'm just trying to get like I'm just trying to get a you know a sense of what you what do you got to say you know let's make this interesting let's get into it let's talk let's really like jam out not the right question and so I sort of said, look, I'm sorry, dude, that came out wrong. That's not the way I meant to say it. But anyway, and then went on to some other topic. Then I'm like, what do you think about, like, women today? I mean, who knows what I said, right? And I keep on trying to ask other questions. And every, like, two minutes she stops. And then there's this terrifying silence. And she's like, I just want to go back. Why did you ask me that? And I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry. And I tried to explain myself. And this happened like five or six times. And finally, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't know what else to say to you. I've answered your question. I said what I said. And she was like, get out. And I was like, all right, I'm out. Like, we know where this is going. From the minute I said it, you are going to throw me out of this hotel room. Right? So let's just let's just do it then. And In this case, I got a call from the publicist afterwards, and the publicist was like, what just happened? And I was like, look, she threw me out of the hotel, and he was, okay, I think we can make a deal. You do your story. As long as you do not write the words, she threw me out of her hotel room, I think we're cool. And I was like, cool, we're cool. I don't need to. I have other words in my brain. (laughs) I don't need those specific words to imply or show what happened. So then obviously I wrote it and I don't think she, who knows what she thought? Who, I mean, who cares? Like nobody, that's what's so fascinating about Gwyneth though. Like you and I could sit here and tear apart what did Gwyneth really think about him what did she mean when she said I wish you well and who cares what Nicki Minaj thinks and I don't think that's only because she fell asleep on you and she threw me out of her hotel room I think it's just that there's something about Gwyneth where people they just want to know what's going on in that brain like it doesn't compute consider this no one had it seemingly as easy as she did and then nobody believed her when she was in pain She's showing up to interviews in a fleece and nobody's asking her what's wrong. Her father dies and nobody understands that she could not even have imagined what that was going to be like. Yeah, that's the key to her. I think the key to to her whole personality is her father dying. Yeah. And her change that she, that she went through. And also her Oscar. Like all of the, the things that she was set up to be and then having to live life anyway. Right. I wonder if when we talk about the song Fix You, people are so uncomfortable with that song. Like they call it cringy. really cringe is just earnestness right like to it, it is not a it's not okay for us to reconcile in our brains that someone that we have assigned perfection to is also in a con- kind of constant state of pain because she lost something that she could not replace right, right? like all all of those things 
I, I can't even fathom them because my brain is too filled with all of the ways that she is someone that you and I, people with at least eight years of college between us <laughs> are spending an hour talking about years and years after we last interacted with her. Right. Like the story I still get asked about all the time, the story that came to define me, even though I don't know that it's my best story. In a way, I am like just anyone else who got a little bit famous off of Gwyneth Paltrow's fame. And right. I think about that. And maybe mm -hmm. that's why I can't look at her because I I stole something from her. Like I I let her her shine reflect on me. Is that also a Coldplay lyric? Am I only talking <laughs> in Coldplay lyrics now? Is that what's going on? Look at the stars. Look how they shine for All right. Well, thank you yeah. so much to Taffy for being it is on my here. Vanessa. The most incredible writer ever. Check Vanessa, out her work online. I love you. Next time on Infamous. Are you rolling yet? Yeah. Okay. Kylie Jenner has landed herself on the cover of Forbes magazine. Kylie Cosmetics was super organic to me because I had an insecurity with my lips when I was younger. So I turned to makeup to help me feel more confident. As her manager and a momager, I can give her all the advice or guide her in a certain way, but yeah. her instincts are so incredible. Now Forbes says the Jenners have lied about Kylie Cosmetics revenue every year since 2016. 